Today I want to suggest that the resurrection is not just a, a nice historical fact that we read about in the Gospels, about our Lord and Savior. That it's not just a good story about how Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, but that the resurrection and the knowledge of it has deep meaning for how you live your life. It has tremendous influence on how you walk through your day-to-day life. It should influence when you wake up in the morning. It should influence as you walk through the day each hour. It should influence with every obstacle, with every problem, with every hardship that you face. The resurrection should have impact on your life. And I want to explain why today. The title of my message today is The Hope of Resurrection. The Hope of Resurrection. And we're going to be looking at two scriptures today by Paul in 2 Corinthians. Two scriptures in which Paul explains why the resurrection is significant for us today. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3. We're going to go down to verse 10 today. And then we'll flip over to chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our consolation or our comfort also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble with, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above or beyond strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that this morning Your Word would make evident the significance of the resurrection in our day-to-day lives. I pray that we would not look upon it as a mere fact of theology, a fact of Scripture, but that it would be a focus point as we walk through each day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Look again at verses 3 to 5. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, 
that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our comfort also abounds through Christ. In these opening verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is describing God's comfort or consolation, as you might see in some of your Bibles. He's describing how God comforts us. God comforts us when we face tribulation. He comforts us when we face hardships or trials. In verse 5, Paul says, the more I suffer, the more I endure hardships and trials, the more I'm comforted. Now, how can that be? How can that be? We'll save that question for a moment. Paul goes on to say that this comfort that God supplies is given not only that we might feel better about our life situation, but that we might comfort others who face trials and tribulation. Let's move on to verse 6. We're going to be answering some questions as we dig deeper into the text. Verse 6, he says, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength or beyond strength, so that we even despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Paul says that regardless of whether he and his co-workers, regardless of whether in their gospel ministry they're afflicted, whether they're afflicted by trial or whether they're comforted by God, he says both situations, both situations result in the comfort and salvation of the Corinthian people. Now, the meaning of the word comfort is quite obvious, right? It means to, to encourage, to nurture, to make one feel better in the midst of trial. And Paul's saying, if I'm in trial or if I'm comforted by God, I'm able to comfort you. But then he says, if I'm comforted or in trial, he says, not only are you comforted by this, but you receive salvation by this. And what does Paul mean by that? The word salvation there. You know, we see the word salvation in Obviously, we, we kickstarts in our brain. Well, that, that means eternally saved, right? Doesn't it always? <clears throat> Actually, the, the fact of the matter is in the Scriptures, the word salvation doesn't always mean eternally saved. It can oftentimes mean physically delivered or physically preserved or physically upheld. And such is the case here. Paul is not saying that because I suffer or I'm afflicted, or because I'm comforted by God, you are saved. Of course he's not saying that. We're saved eternally by faith in Jesus Christ. But what he is saying is that when I'm afflicted, or when I'm comforted by God, I'm able to uphold you. I'm able to save you. I'm able to preserve you, Corinthians. The people of this church that he's writing to. When he is afflicted, he is able to uphold the people 
of the Corinthian church. You say, well, how can that be? It makes sense that if God is comforting Paul, that Paul could offer up comfort and salvation, if you will, to the Corinthian people because he's being comforted by God. But if he's being afflicted, if he's going through trials, if he's going through difficult times, how is it possible that Paul is able to comfort and save, preserve, uphold the Corinthian people? How is it that a man is able to go through hard times, dire straits, difficult circumstances, and uphold a whole church along with him? How is that possible? Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 8 and 9. Look, look, at this, look at this carefully. He says, we were burdened beyond measure, beyond strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. How is it that he's able to comfort them if he has this lot in life? May I suggest to you that the Corinthian Christians and people like you and me today, when we see a person dealing with suffering and hardship, when we see a person going through trial and tribulation, and we see that person standing, we see that person holding firmly to their faith, we see that person not becoming discouraged, or depressed, or angry at God for their lot in life, when we see somebody handle affliction and hardship and difficulty and say, I can still stand through this, that inspires people. That comforts people. That saves people. That upholds people. When a leader is willing to put himself on the front lines The people respond with hope. Lieutenant Colonel Moore was a member of the Vietnam uh, War and and he took one of the earliest uh, offensives in Vietnam. There's a movie uh, written about Lieutenant Colonel Moore. It's called We Were Soldiers. And in just a moment we're going to see a clip from that film. Actually, you're going to see three clips. You're going to see it fade out a few times. Um, But in this clip, you're going to see Lieutenant Colonel Moore take his men, prepare his men, and, and get them ready for battle. And I want you to pay close attention to what he says to the men to inspire them as they prepare to leave for Vietnam. Take a look. At ease, gentlemen. Welcome to the new cavalry. We will ride into battle, and this will be our horse.
catch it. Don't have to feed it. But I can assure you that neither the new technology nor your status as officers will keep you above the danger. Sergeant Major Plumley and I come from the paratroopers, where the officer is always the first one out of the plane. Because to follow your instincts and to inspire your men by your example, you have to be with them where the metal meets the meat. In the 7th Cavalry, we got a captain from the Ukraine, another from Puerto Rico. We've got Japanese, Chinese, Blacks, Hispanics, Cherokee Indians, Jews and Gentiles, all Americans. So let us understand the situation. We are going into battle against a tough and determined enemy. I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive. But this I swear. Before you and before Almighty God, that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I will be the last to step off, and I will leave no one behind. Dead or alive, we will all come home together. So help me God. Lieutenant Colonel Moore, as he took his 7th Cavalry into battle, he was the first to step on the battlefield, and he was the first to step off the battlefield. True story. When a leader suffers, willing to undergo hardship, Willing to deal with affliction. Willingly embrace the suffering. The people respond. The people are comforted. So when Paul says, you're comforted, when I'm comforted by God, or even when I'm afflicted, that's what Paul means. He says, you can look upon my affliction and you can say, if he can do it, I can follow him. If he can do it, I can follow him. Well, that's great for the, the Corinthians. That they can be inspired and motivated to follow Paul's example and in so doing to follow Christ. But what about Paul? What about his co-workers? Where do they find their hope? Where do they find their motivation? What is it that inspires Paul to carry on 
We saw in, in the previous verse that he was burdened beyond measure, beyond strength. He despaired even of life. He had the sentence of death on himself. And yet notice the mindset Paul has as he faces these moments of despair. He says, we face these hardships at the end of verse 9, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Paul takes tribulation and he turns it into God's comfort. He takes tremendous affliction and he turns it into a blessing of God. He takes a death sentence and turns it into a mighty act of God's deliverance. How does he do this? He looks at the resurrection. He says, the feelings of of despair overwhelmed me. Overwhelmed me and my co-workers. But we remain steadfast in our conviction that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Herein lies Paul's hope. The resurrection is Paul's hope. It is as if Paul is saying this. He is saying, because I know God raised Christ from the dead, I know I too will be raised from the dead. Therefore, there is not an affliction too great no hardship too severe, no death sentence too painful that will not shake my hope of resurrection from the dead. Resurrection is my hope. Everything else that might thwart me in this life pales in comparison. Resurrection is His hope. Everything else pales in comparison. Even a death sentence. Notice verse 10. Paul speaks of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will continue to do. He says, God who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust will still deliver us. What a statement. What a statement by Paul here. He says three things. God has delivered. God is delivering. God will deliver. I love that text. For Paul, that is his hope. He's been with a God that he knows delivers. Delivers in the person of Jesus Christ. He is delivered for Paul. And he's delivered Paul throughout his ministry. He's protected him. Even amidst a death sentence. God is delivering him. By the power of His Spirit, He is with Paul. He is encouraging Paul. Comforting Paul. Upholding Paul. And Paul knows he will deliver him. He knows that regardless of what happens in this life, he will be raised up. And so whatever happens pales in comparison to that deliverance that is coming, that Paul is confident in. When we face hard times, it's easy to question God in the here and now and ask, why is this happening to me? It's a lot harder to stop and look back and see what God has done in delivering you from from past trials, past temptations, past struggles. 
It's easy to look now and say, why is this happening? Why is my marriage in shambles? Why do I not have enough funds? Why is my job not good enough? It's hard to look back and say, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did God preserve me so that I can live and breathe? God delivers. He delivers. He has delivered. He is delivering. He will deliver. I look at Israel. And anytime I I question God, I look at the nation of Israel. You know why? I look at a nation that should not exist. It should not exist. Here's a nation that began and immediately went into slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Immediately, the Jewish people began and were enslaved. Now, what people group do you know of that goes through hundreds of years of slavery and comes out a nation? Not many. And if that weren't odds enough that that God has delivered His chosen people, Israel, He took them through civil war. He took them through battling the the, the neighboring enemies in Canaan. He took them through two more times of slavery, Assyria and Babylon, in the 8th and 6th century, 7th centuries B.C. And if those two slavery times weren't enough, He brought them back again in the six, late 6th century, only to have them reconquered again after the time of Christ in 70 A.D. by Rome. So now what? That's about three or four conquerings of the same nation. Three or four times that they were conquered and scattered. Only this time at 70 A.D., guess what happened to them? They not only were conquered by Rome, but they dispersed. They left the land. They went throughout Europe and Asia and Africa. And everybody went, see the Bible, I mean, what is this Israel, God's chosen people? It must be the church. It must be, the church must be Israel. It must be a figurative way for calling the church Israel. Maybe that's it. No. No. You see, what God did was deliver. And after an unbelievable holocaust, one that, that, that we know all too well, when six million of God's chosen people were slaughtered by, by Hitler, God saw fit to reconstitute a nation in 1948, 1900 years after it had ceased to exist in the land of Israel. Folks, that's never happened before in the history of the world. There is no nation you can point to and say, this nation was conquered, scattered, and reconstituted. There is no nation in the history of the world that that has happened to. Not least a nation that was conquered and scattered for 1,900 years only to be reconstituted by God's providence not 60 years ago. You and I live in privileged times. We can look back and we can say, that is unbelievable. Now the world looks at that and they say, well, you know, whatever. You know, a bunch of bunch of uh, Christian preachers influenced politicians and they made the nation of Israel again. What do you know? I look at that and say, that cannot happen 
apart from God's providence. It cannot. God delivers. When I think of God's deliverance, I think of Israel. And when I think of Israel, I'm reminded that if He has delivered His chosen people, who many, many times fell away from Him, sinned against Him, if He's delivered them time and time again, He can deliver me too. He can deliver you too. God delivers. He has delivered. He is delivering. He will deliver you. Now, the Corinthians were a stubborn people. They, uh, they didn't get it very often when Paul preached to them. So, like a good teacher does, Paul repeats himself in chapter 4. Turn over to chapter 4. We're going to continue this and finish in chapter 4. I'm going to read selections here, not all of it. Selections of chapter 4. Paul's going to repeat himself, but I want you to take note the manner in which he repeats himself. Verse 7. Let's start with 4-7. Paul says, but we have this treasure. What is this treasure? Well, if you look at verse 6, the treasure is the light of Jesus Christ. Okay? We have this treasure, the light of Christ, in earthen vessels, that means our bodies, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul says, you and I, we carry within ourselves the light of Jesus Christ in our earthen vessels, or you might, you might call them jars of clay, in our bodies. We carry the light of Christ in our weak and frail bodies. This light is illuminating. We have knowledge about Christ. This light is energizing and powerful. We, we can live and act like Christ because His Spirit is within us. And Paul puts these two metaphors, the light of Christ in us and the earthen vessels, the weak clay pots. And he puts them up in stark contrast to one another. And he says, our weak jars of clay, our bodies, hold within themselves this powerful light so that we can act like Christ and speak like Christ. And when we do... People will know because our bodies are so weak and our earthen vessels are so frail, when we do act mightily like Christ, Paul says, you will know that what we have in ourselves is of God and not of us. Now with that in mind, he goes to verse 8. He says, and so we are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body, our body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body, so then death is working in us, but life in you. Knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. What's Paul saying? Focus on verse 8 and 9 first. He says, We're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we, we have the light of Christ in these weak, frail bodies. But what does this remind you of? 
should remind you of what we read in chapter 1. We were burdened beyond measure, beyond strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing differently. So that they'll get it. Let me repeat myself, Paul says. If you didn't catch it at the start of my letter, I want you to catch it now. Because I'm going to say the same thing again, and I don't want you to leave without it. We go through life, and we suffer. We go through hardships, we go through trials, we go through marriage problems, we have kids who disobey, we have financial trouble, we have emotional problems, we have addictions, we have vices, sins that we deal with. We go through problems. But Paul says, but we are not crushed. We have the light of Christ in us. Look at the next section in chapter 4. He says, we're always carrying about in the body, our body, the dying, the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So then death is working in us, but life in you. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, when I suffer, when I die, when I hurt, when I'm afflicted, when I'm in pain, you live. You're inspired. You're built up. When a leader suffers, the people are moved. They have hope. So when you're afflicted, you've got to look at it differently, Paul says. You've got to look at that hardship and recognize that if you hold fast, you will be influencing a great number of people by you symbolizing the death of Jesus Christ in your body, the suffering of Christ in your body. And of course, this section in chapter 4 should remind us of something that he said in chapter 1. He says, that, now the God of all comforts who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation to uphold you. He's saying the same thing differently. When you suffer and you hold fast, you build up those around you. How can you do it? How can I do it though? It hurts so bad. The pain's so great. I suffer, Neil, like you don't know suffering. You don't know my pain. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the disease that I'm battling and the marriage that I'm struggling with. And the, the, there, There's no money left. You don't know my pain. Well, here's Paul's answer. This is what Paul says in chapter 4. He says, knowing, this is his focus, knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. He says, that's it. That's the motivation. That's what inspires someone to handle affliction, conflict, hardship. The resurrection inspires them. And if it sounds familiar, it's because Paul said that in chapter 1. He said, we were burdened beyond measure, despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, 
But we kept this conviction that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. What is the source of Paul's hope in the midst of hardship and trials? How can we hold fast amidst turmoil in our life? How can, how can we have hope when we suffer? Paul's answer is very clear. He says, you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You think about that. And you think about the fact that you too will be raised to life. You put that in your mind. When that's in your mind, while the pain is great, I have no doubt, while the pain is severe when when we go through trials and hardships and sickness, it's manageable. You know? It's manageable, Paul says. You can do it. Because you know what? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that means you're going to rise from the dead. You who believe in Jesus Christ for everlasting life. It's manageable, Paul says. You can get through it. Resurrection is not something that you just look at and say, well, that, you know, that's what Jesus did so I could live with Him forever. No. That's what Jesus did And you will participate in that. And when you do, and it's coming, friends, it's coming soon. When you do, you're going to look back at these trials and you're going to say, man, that was nothing in comparison to what I have now. That was nothing in comparison to what I have now. This life is not all that there is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. When you cling to the hope of resurrection in the face of adversity and trial, you are manifesting the light of Jesus Christ in you. And when you're manifesting that light in your weak and frail body, when you're holding up that light, others look at that light, Paul says, and they're inspired by that light. They look at you stepping on to the front lines and they say, I can do that too. And so Paul, that's why Paul says what he says at the end of chapter 4. He says, I'm always carrying about in my body the death of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be manifested through me. So as I die, you live. As I die, you live, Paul says. When you cling to the hope of resurrection, you will be able to face any earthly challenge. When you hold fast to the promise of God you, that you will be raised up, others will see that example, and they'll follow you. It only makes sense that Paul has the following ending to his discussion of the motivation of resurrection. Look what he says in verse 16, 17, and 18. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why would we? Why would we? We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, even though we're suffering out here. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us 
a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says, in light of the fact that I'll be raised up, I refuse to be discouraged. Even though I know my body is decaying and I'm suffering, my soul is preserved, knowing I will be raised up. These afflictions, they're light and they're momentary. They will pass. And when they do, what's going to be left on my shoulders is not the weight of those afflictions, but the weight of eternal glory in the kingdom of God. Those who believe in Jesus Christ have this hope. We have hope of resurrection with the Lord Jesus one day. And when we live in such a way that, that we reflect this hope, others are inspired by it. So to those of you who don't know of this hope today, to those of you in the, in the seats, in the pews today, you're saying, I, I'm not sure that I, I have this hope. I'm not sure that I know the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to do a couple things. Number one, I encourage you to look around you. Because if the Scriptures are, are true... When you look around you, you're going to be seeing Christians who are manifesting the light of Jesus Christ. And as they're doing that, and as they're going through afflictions and suffering, you're going to notice them acting differently than you notice your co-workers acting in the face of suffering. You see, the light of Jesus Christ allows a family like Abe and Carol Abraham to go through the burning of their home and to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Only the light of Christ can give a person that perspective. You should see something different in the people of coasts. Those who have faith in Christ because they're manifesting the light of Christ and when they deal with conflict, you should notice a difference in how they handle it. But beyond that, and better still, you should look at the Word of God and consider for yourself the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of His atoning death for sin and victorious resurrection that gives us new life with God. Jesus Christ makes it very plain how to have this resurrection life. He says in John 6.40, And this is the will of Him who sent Me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Believe in Jesus and you too will be raised up on the last day. Without the resurrection, friends, there is no hope in life. Without the prospect of life beyond the grave, um, this gathering becomes meaningless, and your lives become nothing more than an exercise in futility. If this life is all that there is, I'm not sure why anyone is bothering coming here today, let alone living a life with any sense of meaning. But you see, the resurrection is true. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And because it is true, we need to grab hold of this truth. 
You who are Christians, you need to grab hold of it and not look at it as a fact, but look at it as a motivation for your life. The resurrection helps with suffering. Knowledge of it helps with hardship. A focus on it helps with affliction. Those of you who do not know Christ, you need to grab hold of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I mentioned in our clip today, Lieutenant Colonel Moore of the Vietnam War, he was the first to step foot on the battlefield. And he was the first to step foot off the battlefield. He led by example and men followed him because of it. Greater still, Jesus Christ has gone on before you and me. He stepped foot onto this earth and He suffered persecution, ridicule, scorn, beatings, and ultimately death on a cross. He stepped foot on the battlefield for us. He led by example. He showed us that we can handle any kind of earthly hardship because the eternal weight of our sin He carried. He carried on our shoulders the eternal weight of our sin. And He says, if I can do this, you can hold fast. And He won that battle. He rose from the dead. He stepped off the battlefield victorious. And He has given us the way to victory. The way to everlasting life. The way to resurrection life in the Kingdom of God. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. And Christ will raise Him up at the last day. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, the resurrection of Your Son is so much more than a heartwarming story. Father, the resurrection is to be the focal point of our lives when we face hardship and suffering. It is to be the motivation of our day to wake up in the morning and to say, despite this affliction that I face, I will be raised up and that is my hope. And Father, with that in mind, we can face anything. And when we do hold fast, Lord, I know that You are working in the lives of others who are influenced by our example. That when we step onto that battlefield and willing to suffer for You, others are inspired and follow our example. And in so doing, they follow You. I pray, Lord, that today not one would walk out of here not having laid hold of the hope of resurrection that is found by believing in Jesus Christ as Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.